How is everybody? Yeah, for real? <laughs> Anyone weary? A little bit? Okay, me, it's just me. That's good. I'm preaching to myself then. That's fine. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, no, God is good, and he's a sustainer. I'm going to take my glasses off. You'll all look bleary, but I'll be able to read. It's amazing how like, I can track my eyesight based on um, how difficult it is to lead worship and how difficult it is to preach and see the type and, the, and what I have written out. Um, it's kind of like a benchmark for me. <laughs> um, i got to figure something out. Karen keeps saying bifocals, but like, I keep saying, well, I don't need a prescription, which means like prescription and then clear, I think is where we're headed. Um, and then I tried the like one contact in and one contact out. It's a little weird. You kind of like, whoa, do that. So anyways, uh, I guess I just said that for free and you don't really need to know what's going on with my eyesight. But um, yes. But anyways, um, so anyways, as I just shared, Michael is, uh, his dad's in hospice and uh, it's probably really, really close to the end. I mean, that's what hospice is, but um, he, he's really slipping fast. So Michael's visiting him today. And, and uh, just, if you think about it today, just continue to pray for grace and uh, mercy for, for him. And so, you know, yesterday I said, I'll preach. And then, you know, you say something like that. And then the reality hits that, well, you said you'll preach, you better preach. And, and what do we preach? And I found a, um, a sermon that I did back in 2013. And uh, those of you who don't know, I have a long history of like being a youth pastor for quite a while, which shows itself when I'm up here and you either love it or hate it. And I, I don't really at this point at 50, almost 52, I, I'm kind of past apologizing for it, I guess, at this point. God has made me who I am. And, and uh, like it or leave it, uh, he's good. And uh, we're all in the process of sanctification, aren't we? So, uh, you know, we'll just see how it goes. But the, what happened with this, this sermon is, 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 and I don't know if you've ever noticed it. How many of you ever, like, when you're going through the scriptures, you may have read something a lot, you know, many, many times. And then all of a sudden, you read it again, and something just pops out at you. And, and the passage we'll be in today is in James chapter 1, if you want to turn there. And back in 2013... Uh, I gave a message to the, to the high schoolers. And it just was that typical, we were starting James. Uh, believe it or not, we did Ephesians. That'll make some of you have been around a while laugh. You know what that means. We did Ephesians, and then we moved into the book of James. And uh, we were in here. And I had actually taught, especially this, because when you talk about trials, it's a pretty common thing. We all have trials, and so it's a really good, applicable youth group type message, but I was giving it, and as I was going through the scriptures on this, it's, it was almost as if just something clicked, and the Holy Spirit was so good to just kind of give just a small little, I don't even want to call it extra, but just kind of just showed me something in the text, and, and, uh, and it really was this. In James chapter 1, we're going to um, read through that, but it really is this, it's, it's, my prayer today is that we'll see how great the goodness of God is towards us, no matter what the circumstances of our life is, or what our life was, that we'll see that our past and our present, where we are today, and whatever comes 
for us in the future that will see this. And this is really kind of amazing. And it's this, that trials are a loving gift to us from a great God who loves us. And I'll say that again so it kind of sticks. Trials are a loving gift from God because he loves us. Because he's good. So let's read our text. James chapter 1. We'll start at, uh, we'll start at verse 1. It's the introduction, but then start really paying attention to verse 2. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who were dispersed abroad, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, of, ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his, in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails." and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So trials, trials a gift. I think some of you might be thinking, I don't think you know my life, Ron. And you'd be correct. I don't know all your lives. Some of you I know better. Some of you I don't know much at all. Some of you may be visiting today. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know who you work with. I don't know what your boss is like. I don't know your parents. I don't know your finances. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what your fears are. I don't know what you endure day in and day out. I don't know if your marriage is difficult or if it's exceptional. I don't know if parenting is, is hard. I don't know if your kids are, are out of control, if your kids are great. I don't know. But I do know this. I know what God says. And I know what he says to us. And it says this, look, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So don't be deceived. 
Now, what deceives us? James warns us. He says, beloved brothers, so people of the faith, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, what deceives us? I've asked that before, and I'm asking it again. I want you to think about that. I think for me, and for a lot of us, is sometimes we doubt the goodness of God. But it's true. God is good. God is perfect. God is holy. He's the perfect good creator. God never changes. Malachi 3.6 says this, I, the Lord God, do not change. Think of creation. God said, let there be light. Isn't it interesting in our text, it says that too, the father of lights. God saw that the light was good. And then he created seas and land and said, it's good. Vegetables and trees, it's good. The stars, the moon, the planets created by the father. And he saw that it was good. Animals, insects, all of creation, it is good. He creates man in his own image. He gives man dominion over his good and wonderful creation. And in Genesis 1.31, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So if something is given from God, can it be evil? No. Can it be bad? No. It's not in his character. It's not who he is. God is good. We say God is good all the time, don't we? Sometimes it's like, for me, sometimes we almost say it as a reminder, don't we? Someone says, oh, I'm so sorry about what we might be going. God is good. Now, intellectual, huh? God is good. God is good. In the heart, in the midst of hard, hard circumstances. It's a discipline to that, isn't there? There's a reminder that we need to have in our lives that God is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's the same thing as saying God is what? The blessed controller of some things? All things. You know, God is good to his creation. You ever stop and think about a term we use called common grace? Like even those who reject God, who say there is no God, they are still benefiting from his good and perfect gifts all the time. Think about it. Think about God's common grace. It's remarkable. They still enjoy his gifts. What are some of God's gifts? It's Father's Day. I get to choose the menu. The world enjoys steak, even at like the crazy price it's gotten to lately. Meat is good. Ribs. <laughs> you see, I'm very food focused. I can't help it. Um, you know, a milkshake on a warm night. How about your pets? The love of your pets, the love you have and the love they give. Isn't that something? Isn't God good? Uh, I, my mind, I could get off on a tangent here. I will just say this. I'll just say this in terms of our relationships with animals. What was it like in the garden? 
Eve didn't seem to be all weirded out that a snake was talking to her. I think there's at one point before the fall of man, who knows what it was like. Uh, I'm way off topic here. I apologize. Who knows what it was really, really like in the garden in terms of our relationships with other creation. Love of the pet. Green grassy hills. I love Yosemite. Anyone else? We see that and we see God's hand in creation. The Sierra Mountains. Monterey Bay. The stars. The moon. The planets. The smell of the air after rain in springtime. Even sports. Golf and football. Fly fishing. Rivers and streams. Music. You know, we're blessed with musicians. We've been blessed with musicians throughout the history of time. Some knew God and wrote to his glory. Some wrote for their own glory. But yet God has given skilled musicians and music for us. Singers, composers. Yet, all that isn't that much better when we follow what it says in Ephesians. Singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. All these are gifts God has given us. And I didn't even scratch the surface. God gives good gifts. Yet, all these gifts pale in comparison to the greatest gift. And if you don't know this gift today, I would tell you that the greatest gift that we have given, been given is Jesus Christ. God gave us Jesus to come and save sinful man. In the people of God, we have Jesus Christ and all he is. What do we get in Christ? Well, one, life eternal, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation. But we get other special things. Jesus said this, come to me, all who are what? Weary. And I will give you rest. He is our rest. Any of you ever have a hard time sleeping? Just out of curiosity, I sometimes do. Isn't it nice when after maybe a season, you're just not sleeping well, and then all of a sudden one morning you wake up and you go, I slept. I had rest. I feel good this morning. Life can beat us down. Life can be a a journey that just is difficult, but we find our rest in Christ. He is our rest. He took our punishment in Galatians 2.20 says this, he gave himself up for me. He is our sacrifice. He is also our righteousness. We can never produce righteousness on our own, but in Christ we are righteous. And he gives us and he brings us eternal life. He's our peace. He is our hope. He's our shepherd, our savior, our king. What a generous God who gives great, great gifts. Look in verse 18. It says, Out of God's will, out of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be what? A kind of first fruits of his creatures. In the Old Testament, people would bring their offerings and it would be the first fruits. It was to be the best, the first, perfect, without blemish, without spot. God accomplishes this for us through Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 2. Some of these verses, we just read them over and we just don't even grasp the depth of it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We see him and we shall be like him. As it says here, spotless, 
or first fruit of his creatures. The church is told in Ephesians 5, Paul describes the church as this, those who are without blemish and spotless. Christ has accomplished this for us. So how does this fit in? How does this all fit in? If God is the giver of gifts, he's the giver of all that is good, and every good and perfect gift comes from above, then the rest of our text, and we're going to backtrack a little bit, we'll say this, trials are a loving gift to us from a great God who loves us. Now say that again. Trials are a loving gift to us from a great God who loves us. So let's go back to the start. James chapter 2, let's read verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James here tells us, count it or consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. You know, this is a command. Again, this isn't a a suggestion. The word of God doesn't really mess around, does it? Say, hey, try your best to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Or I hope you can. No, James flat out just says it. Consider it, count it. Bank on it. Put your faith in this, that you can count it pure joy when you encounter various trials. This is not a recommendation. Why? Because God uses trials for our good because he is good. Because he is the giver of good gifts. Now this goes so opposite everything that the world would tell us. But count it in your mind as joy. Learn to think joyfully in our trials. A mind set upon Jesus Christ will be a mind that considers trials to be joyful. But see, what happens is I think we interject ourselves into our trials and we dilute the joy really quick. You know what I mean? You know, what's the difference between pure joy and diluted joy? Any of you ever been like half happy about something? Or just meh? How many, I don't even want to know. Don't raise your hands. How many of you like ever really wanted something for Christmas, a gift? And you thought you were getting it. Like remember back when you were a kid? Then you like open the present. I'm sure this is it. Like, ah, Santa's not real. And you like it, but it wasn't that, there's no real pep behind it. But then other times like you open up, that's exactly what I wanted. Or you were surprised. We're going to Disneyland, whatever, this joy. Remember, and I sometimes think that uh, myself, as I've gotten older, uh, joy maybe changes. It becomes a little more internal. But man, I just love kids, right? When a kid is like truly happy, they just can't help. All right, this is the best ever. We have some kids like that in our lives, you know, through the years as as the girls have brought friends over. Some of them just have this joy. Like when they get to experience something new, they're like, this is so great. And we're just kind of smiling like, really? Is it really that great? Okay, I'm going to take your word for it. And I love that attitude. 
And I think sometimes, now I know that maybe in the midst of trials, we're not supposed to say, this is so great. But yet, somehow the head and the heart need to connect because of the goodness of God. And we need to see the picture in the light of eternity of the promises that it says, count it joy when you meet various trials. Why? The testing of your faith is working. It's accomplishing. It's moving. And it's moving us into this, a steadfastness or an endurance. I need to confess something to you. This COVID lockdown thing did not do me any favors in terms of my overall fitness. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. You didn't have to laugh that much. See, uh, exuberant and joy. It didn't. I mean, what are we going to do tonight? Make cookies. What are we going to do tonight? Make a pie. What are we going to do tonight? Make a cake. I'm all for it. And so now I'm, uh, now I'm walking slash running with the emphasis on walking and uh, trying to get to running. But, you know, when you carry too much, running hurts. And, and so like the first night I was like, I'm so discouraged. I remember back in, you know, whenever I could run a 5K in about a half hour and I can't even run down the block right now. And you feel like giving up. But like in the last few weeks, I, I said it to Karen the other day, I was like, okay, it's working. I'm nowhere near where I need to be, but I'm not where I was. I actually ran out of three miles. I couldn't do it in one shot, but I ran a whole mile. Took a quarter mile here, took a quarter mile here, took a quarter mile or a half mile at the end. I ran a mile. It's working. You see, in our walk with Christ, we need to remember who we were for the glory of God. And this happens. And if you're a new Christian, if you're an older Christian, we, we can testify to this. Sometimes, well, sometimes we're going to have lifetime struggles. And we can talk about that sometime and we can, we can work through those things. But other times we'll go, you know what? I used to struggle with this. But by God's grace, I'm not today. And we see this journey and we should almost set a memorial saying, here's where I was and here I am to God be the glory. You see, this is what trials do. They come and we endure them. And the next time we go, ah, it hit again. God is faithful. God is faithful and he's changing me. So we need to count it in our mind as joy. And as we count it in our mind, as our minds change, it flows out, doesn't it? See, both need to be working. And it's not this fake, yay, trials, and you don't mean it. No, it's like, okay, stop. I'm in the midst of a horrible situation, but I know this to be true. God is good, and he's working in me, and one day I'll be with him. He's changing me. And as we look at Christ, and as we look at all that God has done for us, we now have pure joy. And it's not like that watered-down joy. You ever, ever, any of you ever, you shouldn't drink soda, um, and, and wow, from the pulpit, you better be careful making such absolutes. Soda is bad for you. It's not very good. I like the stuff. But have you ever poured it and then you let it sit in the ice and you let it sit a really long time? And all of a sudden you taste like, oh, it tastes terrible. It's diluted. You could taste a hint of the sweetness and a little hint of the secret formula of Coca-Cola in there, but you go, that's not good. It's diluted. Don't let your joy 
be deluded by interjecting yourself into the middle of trials. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So a couple things to remember today. God uses our trials for our good, for our endurance and our sanctification. Now, if you don't know what sanctification means, that is the process that starts at the moment of salvation of becoming more like Christ. So much good comes from our trials. They're a gift. Our endurance, our steadfastness, we are able to stand firm in Christ in the midst of trial, and it brings a great full effect. This, we are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Isn't it nice to have something like you know will be completed? Our family, we took a, uh, puzzles in this, this lockdown. A lot, of, a lot of lockdown stuff today, or whatever you want to call it. Some of the good stuff was that we'd sit around a table. Now, I couldn't do this one, but they did the Van Gogh Starry Night puzzle. That thing was 1,000 pieces, 2,000 pieces. It was a nightmare. <laughs> For someone who has my attention span, I just, like, it was just not happening a whole lot. But I, I made sure I got a piece or two so I could say we did the puzzle. And uh, we did that. But can you imagine going through this long process and at the end, one or two pieces was missing? How maddening would that be? Well, that's not our case. God is bringing us to completion. Philippians 1.6. He who began the work is using all sorts of things to complete it. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began in good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We are becoming perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And trials are part of that process. In the book of James, we see examples of the trials everybody faces. Soon here, Paul talks about the rich man or the poor man. Finances. Can finances be a trial? Maybe just in the first book house. I don't know. Poverty. The afflictions of being a widow or an orphan or being sick or suffering. All these things are in the book of James. And yet, consider it pure joy. Joy and trials prove or are a proof of a genuine faith. Consider it joy because it's perfecting us. So that for this purpose, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I like this next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. To all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God uses our trials for our good, our endurance, and our sanctification. God also uses trials for this purpose to deepen or to strengthen our reliance upon him. Our faith increases, our faith is increased in our trials. In the midst of considering our trials to be joy, Run to God. Run to God. Don't rely on your own abilities or your own understanding. Picking up where we were in chapter in verse five, 
Run to God. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith. Ask in confidence. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Any of you ever been out in the water where you were a little bit out of control? Where the waves and the wind kind of took over a little bit? One time I was out at San Luis Reservoir in a little, little boat. We were fishing with my friend Rick and we're out there and it started getting choppy. You know, to the point where we started getting wet. Yeah, we were laughing about it, but at one point it was just like, I think we need to start, you know, moving in the direction of the dock and the wind had really picked up and, and we got out of there okay, but it was, you know, it's a pretty powerful thing. My dad is a, is a diver um, he, my whole life. He's been an abalone diver and lobster diver. He's a funny guy. He never gets seasick. I get seasick in a, at the drop of a hat. And he loves telling stories. Oh, I've been out on the Sea of Cortez down south hunting for lobster and you should see the waves crashing over the boat like you see on Deadliest Catch or something. I'm like, that's awful. That's, I, I don't like that lack of control. And there's times out there, the disciples, and, and we know this, we see in the Gospels, the times are like, Lord, we're going to die out here on the sea. And he says, peace, be still. There are some things out of our control. <clears throat> and we're not to be that person who's driven and tossed and pushed and pulled and just thrown all over the place. No, there's a steadfastness and a confidence. Let him ask in faith. Let him ask in confidence. Stand firm. Or other places it says in Scripture. And ask without doubting. For the one who doubts is thrown all over the place. Don't let that person suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Because what? They're double-minded. Unstable in all his ways. You guys know what double-minded means. It's a tremendous lack of confidence. It's an uncertainty. No, in the midst of trials, how do I endure these? Ask for wisdom. God gives wisdom. It's a promise. Confidently go to God and say, God, you give wisdom. Please give it to me. And he gives. And he's generous. And may I tell you, you want the guide to wisdom? This. Go to this. Go to the Word of God. First and foremost, there's a lot of good books out there. Go here first, and then it helps. Use those secondary. Christian bookstores, Christian books are great. It's fantastic. Don't have a problem with it. But this will show you, first and foremost, how to be steadfast. God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, wants to give wisdom. So ask boldly, and he gives generously. Don't doubt. He is faithful. He gives every good and perfect gift. Verses 9 through 11, it moves to this. God uses his financial trials to remind us that only he is eternal. Look at verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Finances are interesting, aren't they? In a way, they're a trial, or at least, yeah, I'll use that word. No matter what side of the line you're on, on the poorer side or on the, on the, on the wealthier side, finances affect our lives greatly, don't they? And we see in this, these verses kind of a bit of a riddle. Let the lowly brother boast in his what? Exaltation. And the rich man in his humiliation. Isn't that mixed up? That doesn't seem right. A commentator stated it this way, and I liked, I liked it. And it's this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no rich. There are no poor. They're sinners where we all come. The poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those who know they have nothing and come to repentance. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We all bow, rich or poor. We all need mercy and forgiveness from our sins. And all of us must recognize our spiritual poverty apart from Christ. And I just said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when it says poor in spirit, it's the same word poor that's used for the beggar outside of the gates of, of the rich man, the beggar Lazarus. It's actually even a different word than the word poor used when the widow gave the widow's might. In the Gospels, we saw that because the widow had something to give. The word here is the same as used when Lazarus, who had nothing. I mean, it was a, a horrible picture that the dogs came and licked his source. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, to have absolutely nothing. See, both riches and poverty are trials. Think of having nothing. If you know Christ, you know you have everything. And you know that there is more. Yet sometimes, when you have, it's hard to know that you are reliant upon a Savior or upon a God who gives every good and perfect gift. I think what the truth is here, there's always a struggle for contentment and peace when your stomach is full or your stomach is empty. Sometimes those who have, and I know this is true for myself, that self-reliance in our culture is, is looked upon highly. But oftentimes there's a temptation for more. And I think what we need to do is, as Jesus said, we ought to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And as God blesses, we look to bless others. And third, there's a tremendous blessing when we faithfully endure our various trials. And that's verses, look at verses 12 through 18, and we'll close with this. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, 
he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And I think James puts that here. For one, don't be deceived. Sin brings death. Sin is not to be messed with. It is not to be toyed with. It is to be, is to be taken to the cross and be done. Sin is to be killed. But also, I think it ties into the next thing. Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And we touched on that earlier. We went a little bit backwards, but I hope you kind of see where we were getting at today. Trials are a gift. God is the giver of gifts. God is working us. God is completing us. And when we go through horrific trials or medium trials, trials or small trials, God is good in the midst of it. Run to him. The goal of God's working within us through trials is this. Our perseverance brings his approval and it brings reward. The crown of life is promised to those who love him. We have joy in trials, but we know this is a temporary sin-filled world. This will not last. Heaven is coming. God has promised us eternal good. So, don't blame God in trials. Don't think he tempts us to evil. God does not intend our trials to bring us to sin. God's purpose is our completion. The crown of life awaits us. So when we sin, it's us, it's me. It's me alone. And relying on my own earthly, earthly <laughs> my own earthly wisdom or when we rely on our own earthly, earthly wisdom, it brings error, it brings doubt. Never bring yourself to a place where you say, God is not good. God is good. He is working in us. He is completing us. Do not be deceived. Well, I hope this was an encouragement this morning. Let's close in prayer. You know, it's interesting. You take a text like this, uh, about uh, 16 ver well, 17 verses, didn't even scratch the surface. If you have time this week, this is a great, great text to meditate on uh, daily, weekly, monthly. Don't forget it. It's a great, great passage. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we evaluate and as we look at our lives, we see so much of your grace and your mercy. First and foremost, Lord, we see it. And that while we were dead in our sins, you made us alive in Jesus Christ. For by grace we have been saved. Father, your grace is everywhere. It surrounds us. 
Lord, you live within us by the power of your spirit. Lord, may we be a people who live a steadfast, confident, and sure life, knowing that you are good, that you are working in us. And Lord, one day it will be complete and we will be made completely new when we see you. We look forward to that day, but Father, in the meantime, may we with joy run the race that's set before us, knowing that you've planned it, that you are in control and you love us and you are good. It's in Jesus' great name we pray, amen. All right, thanks everybody. Have a wonderful day. Have a good week. Be in prayer for so many of us uh, in, a, in our congregation who need prayer. Remember the Eastmans. Remember the cruises. Uh, if I'm leaving someone out, I apologize. That comes to the top of my head right here. And uh, have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful day. Have a good week. Be in prayer for so many of us uh, in, a, in our congregation who need prayer. Remember the Eastmans. Remember the cruises. Uh, if I'm leaving someone out, I apologize. That comes to the top of my head right here. And uh, have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week.